0: Get 15% off the fullest entire product line with code THEFULLESTPODCAST at checkout. One of the main ingredients in our product line, saffron, has been proven over and over again in clinical double-blind placebo trials to be an effective form of treatment for depression, anxiety, and ADHD. Saffron has been used by many cultures for thousands of years for these purposes, and now the research is here to finally back it up, proving that plant medicines and ancient healing practices can actually be an effective alternative to pharmaceuticals. From caffeine free latte powders to saffron baths and capsules, there's something for any modern woman looking for ancient healing. Again, that's code the fullest podcast at checkout for 15% off. I hope you enjoy your new daily saffron ritual. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick, and today's guest is Dr. Natasha Beck, who has a master's in public health. She has a doctorate in clinical psychology, and she's the founder of Dr. Organic Mommy, which is an online resource for parenting and pregnancy and non-toxic living. And I'm just so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm, I just love everything you share and you're so open to uh, like you have this experience in you know, studying, you know, the psychology aspect of parenting and family dynamics. And then, you know, you share so much about what you do with your family, which is so wonderful to see. And I really resonate with like the Waldorf and Rye philosophy and Montessori, and we share, you know, a lot about that sort of thing on our platform. So our audience is really interested, but I wanted to have you on to kind of just first talk about how you got into this space to begin with. Sure.
1: So as a child, I was actually diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia, which is now known as reading disorder, a reading disability. And so I really took a deep dive trying to learn as much as I could. And I was lucky enough to be afforded lots of opportunities. And so when I finally took the path of getting my doctorate, uh, I saw firsthand how, you know, diet and lifestyle was really impacting kids. And so I started to Change my own uh, regimen, and I started to notice a lot of differences. And so I started incorporating those things into my recommendations for all of my clients. Uh, but it really wasn't until I had my first child uh, that I entered the non-toxic living space because he was hospitalized for 29 days when he was seven weeks old oh my gosh. Uh, for a bacterial and viral infection. Uh, we couldn't really pinpoint what happened. And so I took another deep dive into the research of environmental toxins and I saw the impact they were having. Um, and it just, it just wasn't talked about a lot 10 years ago. Yeah. And so when I had my second child, I actually was with a friend of mine in a baby class, and she told me to start this platform that I have so much knowledge, I could um, help so many more people uh, doing it this way instead. Um, And she encouraged me to do it, and she
0: (laughs) helped me start. A business. That's so fun. I love the name. Thank you. And I love that you, it's a non-profit. So everything from sponsored posts and everything that you share just goes back to um, charity. charity.
1: It was hard because I didn't know what I could trust out there, uh, especially when you're trying so many different products and what things people really liked, so I try everything myself, I buy it all myself, that way there's just no bias, and then the charities I picked were very ones that were very important to me, like the Environmental Working Group, which is helping to spread awareness and change policy about environmental toxins, and mm-hmm. Baby to Baby, which is helping to provide essential needs to kids zero to 12, and then of course, Charity Water, which is trying to provide
0: clean water to everyone. Yeah, and so then when you went on to have your um, children, at what point did you like kind of get into the philosophies around um, just the type of parenting, like conscious parenting that you share about? Sure. Uh, I think, well, I studied it in graduate school. and But I had started
1: off kind of in the typical rat race of parenting um, and i kind of got sucked into that with my first child and i ended up pulling him when he was in preschool his first year into a waldorf preschool because i really wanted a developmentally based preschool that focused um, and met the child where they were at and i saw such a stark difference in the waldorf philosophy and even in the classroom in my child's behavior uh, that I really switched over and fell in love with it and just took again another deep dive into that research.
0: Yeah, so um, in terms of like the Waldorf philosophy, I know there's so much support for parents outside of the classroom too. Is that um, kind of how you like started diving more into the research or like what sort of things did you see in terms in, in difference in the other um, preschool? Uh, so things that helped me
1: learn more about Waldorf were their parent education. But then I also took separately some trainings uh, that were offered at, at WISC, which is in Southern California. But they do have so many oh, cool. support groups now on Facebook, especially, and online trainings now since post-COVID. But the differences I noticed with my child uh, when he was in a class that was more Reggio Emilia inspired yeah. uh, versus switching him over where he, he had stopped napping when he was two years old. And I really tried to hold the frame, but he just wouldn't sleep. But on the days that I had pulled him and put him into a Waldorf class, he was napping. Mm. And so that was my first, you know, aha moment. Um, and then- when, Napping at school or napping. Yeah, yeah. When they like have quiet time. Quiet time. He, yeah. he would nap. Aww. And so- they really started to understand the philosophy and how they met the child where they were at. It wasn't all about the quantity and how many things they could produce Mm -hmm. with the child in the class. It was really about quality. Yeah, And there was just such purpose down to everything they do in a Waldorf classroom, down to what the teachers even wore so that they wouldn't overstimulate the child to create more attachment and bonding because of the pockets in their, their aprons, so children can give them things. Uh, And then the way they approached the child, it was just so different Um, from what I had seen in in my child's previous school
0: and and schools that I honestly had tested children at. Mm -hmm. And um, what do you think, like a lot of times in our society, it's all about, like you were saying, like achieving more and having the kids do more. And we want to put them in programs so quickly. And I even kind of, I created during COVID, like my own little program for my son when he was two. And I still feel like I have mixed feelings about it because I was like I'm working, it's good for him to have it. It's my own program right next to me, but still I felt like maybe it was too soon for him. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on like how when children should really go on to even go into a Waldorf program. Like what age is optimal? I think
1: what age is optimal is a hard question to answer because it depends on the child and the family and Mm -hmm. what is important to them and and their needs and their financial needs and where they're at. Um, But if I had to pick an ideal, you know, somewhere around three, three and a half, uh, because that's when around that age you start to see the shift of parallel play to play together where they start to interact with one another and that's where socialization starts to occur and become more important. Um, But, you know, as far as the Waldorf program goes, um, I think it's so important that they meet the child where they're at. And I know we feel this rush to yeah. to, to do all those things, but one of the gifts of Waldorf is that they have the gift of time. Mm-hmm. And honestly, we should approach that in our own parenting philosophy. When we start to slow down, it really helps our child when we're constantly going out them and talking right to them. It doesn't really resonate and get to them you'll see your child just won't listen yeah it just becomes too much because with a young child under the age of seven you're you're getting too much in their head Uh, and with young children they're all about moving their body and so you've got to approach it a slightly different
0: way yeah that makes sense and in terms of like you were talking about previously it was regio and that's kind of considered more conscious than most programs right can you tell me more about that I just I don't really know about about that philosophy
1: sure it's based on a philosophy that's in Italy and it really just works in Italy because (laughs) uh, I mean a lot of people you know have that inspired uh behind it um, in in the states but it's a really more child-led and finding out like what the child's interested in and so if they're interested in butterflies they may then develop that week the curriculum based on learning about a butterfly and so in theory yeah it sounds beautiful but it's hard to actually implement when you don't have the rest the rest of it like in Italy they have the big beautiful gardens that they have the outdoor space you know that teachers are cooking with the children and so there's a lot
0: more Um, behind it there as opposed to the inspiration. Yeah, that makes sense. And like you were talking a little bit about socialization starting at that age. What do you think about homeschooling? I think homeschooling is a great option. It just
1: depends on what the child and what the parent uh, is looking for. Uh, But you do need to incorporate, even if you're just doing, if you are doing Waldorf, socialization is a big part of it. And you have to look at what is important to you. So for me, I really wanted children who were self-aware, confident, kind, resilient kids who would think critically and be able to work on a team with uh, with other kids and have a high emotional IQ because that's what's different in today's world. What makes humans human? Emotion. Yeah. You know, especially in today's society where technology there's so much AI and technology, you know, How's that gonna separate us out? What are we going to be needing to do differently? And we really have to hone in on those skills, especially when there's so many things that are interfering with them today, like screens um, and you know, sugar and, and, and toxins and whatnot.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I love that with emotion, even though people are saying that now even AI has, can have, you know? It can have emotion, yeah. Which is so crazy. So yeah, I, in terms of screens, what's, I know that you do podcasts sometimes, right? I incorporate podcasts and like what, what sorts of things that you incorporate that are helpful and maybe less stimulating or helps them in terms of like imagination rather than, Screen time. Mm -hmm.
1: So we don't really have screen time at home. I I reserve it for times when I need it. So Mm -hmm. um, like when I was pregnant and very nauseated and throwing up all the time um, throughout all my different pregnancies, they seem to get worse with each one. Um, Or, you know, when we do travel, if it's an extended period of time on the plane, uh, that kind of thing. But it's really about the content that's so important, Mm -hmm. you know, and what we're consuming. Uh, because it's not, and it's the same thing with food. Like there's foods that help you grow foods that don't help you grow. So you want to be mindful of what you're choosing for your child. Um, for us, I find that it just helps to not expose them to screens early on because there's tons of studies out there even, uh, showing that you're changing the chemistry of your brain with screens. Some children can handle it more than others, but in today's world where you have one in 36 kids diagnosed with autism, you know, one in about one in 10 kids diagnosed with ADHD. It's really hard. And so we have to be mindful about what we're giving our children. Uh, It may seem hard. Like, how do you do those screens? How do you prepare things? But you often find that play is the most important part of childhood. Mm -hmm. And so when you are allowing them just to play and having that unstructured time, they actually have so much imagination there. And that's the building block for academic success. When a child is playing, they're focused on one thing, they're sequencing, they're problem solving, they're figuring out, do I build it this way? Do I build it that way? Do I not like it? How do I interact with another child? There's so many things going on that are those pre-academic skills that are necessary to be able to sit at a desk, to be able to think and learn and have that eye-hand coordination that are needed, but we're not giving our kids enough time to play. Um, and we're also, when we do give our kids time to play, it's with so much stuff yeah. and, and so much entertainment, you know, and we just sit back and think, just need some blocks. You know, you don't even need to go out and buy a bunch of toys. Mm-mm. You know, kids can just go outside and figure out how to play with rocks and twigs and figure out how to play on their own. And I think we're so afraid of that boredom factor uh, which is so important to spark
0: creativity. What's your argument with people that might say, well, if they don't learn screens now, they're going to be behind. I've heard that so many times because we don't have a TV at our house. I found that it would just be easier to just not have it and model it ourselves as well, which I, um, you know, having an online, online-based brand can be difficult to, like, whatever, needing posting and stuff, and I try not to, um, or have, make sure someone else is like hanging out with them, and, um, and they're able to like do their own thing if I need to go do that, but I find that, yeah, it starts with us as parents modeling that, but then I, yeah, I hear that argument all the time, well, if you don't let them do it, then, you know, they're not going to be able to excel in society, because that's what society is, and you just have to accept it,
1: Uh, I hear that argument a lot. Um, But look at the most brilliant people out there, the head of Google, the head of, uh, of Apple. They didn't have that as a young child. They were able to have that foundation to be able to play, to be able to create, to be able to thrive off of boredom. And so when we deprive our children of that, what's going on there? You know, we're Giving our kids screens at such an early age, kids that are eight and up are getting six to eight hours of screens a day, but they're not getting outside. And not just for mental health and our own physical health, but what is that doing to our child's learning? Technology is so easy. (laughs) You know, even our grandparents are figuring out, oh, I know how to do Instagram, I can figure it out. And even if you leave, I've left my phone On the floor my child will know how to swipe up Mm -hmm. and figure it out oh swipe this way and then you can go to your dms i didn't even know that until one of my kids picked (laughs) my phone and showed me that um they figure it out because it's innate in them it's very it's built in a way that it's really easy to understand and there's so much time to be able to get there Mm -hmm. that that's when you need to you just need to slow down you know Mm -hmm. once they're you know in middle school then you can give it to them you know, we don't want to overload our kids with this technology before they're ready. Yeah. And there's a lot of governance around that. A lot of figuring out, well, you know, how does social media work? And, and even um, going on the internet. How, how do we figure out how to go on the internet? What sites can we trust? What sites can we not trust? And so having that, you know, technological intelligence and, and respect for that I think is something that needs to be
0: taught and we haven't quite figured that out yet. What's how old is your oldest? My oldest just turned 9. Oh my gosh. And is your oldest asking to go on the internet and do that or like cuz I I'm I'm trying to figure out like in terms of friends or my sister for example, my sister totally respects where I'm coming from, but she's also like I I like screens, I like TV and her she has a son that's like three months, um, older than my daughter, my younger one. And she's like, when we're around, she tries to be, you know, um, tries to watch like the screen time with her son, but he's already like on the screen watching stuff and holding a cell phone. And I mean, she knows how I feel about it. We talk about this all the time, but to me, it's like, okay, those are his cousins. But what about friends? Like, how do you, How do you have that conversation with your child without making the other people seem like shamed, shamed. It's really complicated. I think I've been trying to figure out, I don't want to shame their cousin. I love him, but I also just need to share that we just do things differently as a family.
1: Oh, well, I think that's, you know, you say we do things differently as a family. It's not to say that one way is right or wrong. You know, this is just what works for us. And so I find when you have kids playing together uh, the whole point of coming together is to play, mm-hmm. to converse. Yeah. And so when you're on a screen, it doesn't allow that. So no. maybe it seems like the child's not ready for that. Yeah. You know, and as far as, you know, if they want to have screens in their family, that's totally fine. And, you know, my child will ask in every now and then, like, you know, can we watch soccer? And then my child's really, yeah. my oldest is very into soccer and he loves cooking. And so, you know, we'll start, we're starting to slowly introduce uh, those types of shows on the weekend and not during school time, not during the week. And so there's a respect for it and there's a learning aspect and we're sitting together doing it. Yeah. And so we're mindful about how we consume Ooh, media. Oh, I like
0: that. So it's not just
1: him. No, it's not just him. We are always doing it together. Uh, you know, of course, there will be times where he's yeah. doing it on his own when we're traveling and uh, yeah. or I'm not feeling well. Um, but honestly, I tried to redirect his focus into something else he can do. Because if we're constantly giving our kids screens, what are we doing? We're getting dopamine hit after dopamine hit. And so they're requiring more stimulation from Mm -hmm. their environment. So if you are seeing even like just like a planet Earth and you see an episode of like all this amazing animal eating all these things, and it's all sitting right there. When you go into a hike and you see your natural environment and you don't see that right away, you get bored. And you think, well, where's
0: the action? It's so true. I had that moment myself years ago. Um I went to Hawaii with my family and we went and saw one of the beautiful waterfalls and my dad was just like, "Wow, like this is so amazing." And I was like looking at his wonder for the waterfall. I was like, "That's so beautiful." And I feel like a little bit robbed of it cuz I see pictures like this 24 seven, whereas like, you know, my dad's not on social media or anything like that. And that was kind of the first moments for me where I was like, wow, we're just bombarded with this sort of marketing or any sort of imagery all day long, where this is a moment where anyone else would go in nature and be just so amazed. And of course I still am and was. Sure. But we're robbing our kids of that engagement. Yeah.
1: How do we get kids to interact with one another and appreciate society and what our, you know our environment has to offer is engagement and so when we're constantly being stimulated you know even with the bright lights or the sounds or the moving camera back and forth and all the different characters you know when you sit in real life it's not as interesting Mm-mm. you know and we're not even getting to the side that's like you know when when they're teenagers and what they're being e- exposed to and even young children just being exposed freely to youtube kids and unfortunately what they're being exposed to on there
0: yeah yeah do you see a difference in your kids who have less screen time and are, you're so much more mindful about it when they do get it? Like, do you see the difference, even yourself in like behavior? Mm-hmm. I do see it, you know, when they get to be, get to handle
1: have it too much. Um, I do see an, I, I see a very stark difference in their behavior in terms of how they're able to regulate themselves. Of course, all children need to figure out how to regulate their, their feelings, you know, and your job as a parent to t- is to teach them. Uh, but when kids have too much screen time, it, they, they get really dysregulated and they don't know how to kind of center back. Mm-hmm. And so as a parent, it's your job to do that, but it makes it so much more difficult when you do have those screens. So when you, I, I have these simple plans for a lot of parents that uh, I consult with. If you just detox, give, give me a month. If you just give me one month, I, I will nine times out of 10 see a huge difference. Wow. And I have parents coming back saying, I'm not going back. Because their behavior is night and day. You know, kids will, of course, still have tantrums and yeah. and still need that help to figure out how to regulate their feelings. But it's, it's a night and day difference in terms of the every
0: day to day. And so let's talk about food, too, because I'm sure food is part of your program, yes. right? So what is your recommendation to parents when it comes to... Um, just eating differently. And it's different what we do for ourselves. I mean, my whole philosophy around food is like a pregnant woman or a postpartum mom or someone on their period is going to eat differently than their child or their husband or whatever we all have. But the core, the foundation of the food that we eat and the philosophy around that, I'm curious.
1: So it starts with something that Ellen Satter created, where is you as the parent decide what and when your child eats and you're providing that rhythm and consistency as well the child decides how much and if they're going to eat and i think constantly we get into this just battle of like three more bites and then mm-hmm. you can eat this you know and that's that's that control mm-hmm. as opposed to that teaching and we want to get back to the teaching well let's think about what are the foods that help us grow We need protein, we need healthy fats, we need fiber. So my kids are constantly asking themselves, oh, I wanna be able to make my snack plate today, great. What do we need in our snack plate? And so they've heard me narrate this yeah. over and over again. So they actually, they may not be listening in your eyes, but they are. Mm-hmm. Kids are always listening. Um, and so they pick up on those things. So you have to model it as a parent. So you can't expect your child to always eat healthy or only want to eat a vegetable if you're never doing that. Yeah. And so if you have those things in your home that are full of sugar, processed foods, artificial dyes. It's very hard for your kid to say no to that they have no executive functioning <laughs> their frontal lobe their prefrontal cortex is not developed um, and not until their early 20s and so you have to be the one to kind of help set that tone and help educate them and that's really what it's all about modeling and educating
0: mm-hmm. and what do you do um, when it's like holidays or we just had Easter yeah. or Halloween. so it's not about restriction mm-hmm. you know I think we get
1: into this, mindset of like okay we can't have any sugar yeah you know um and or we go too far and we let them eat whatever they want because I don't want them to have an eating disorder It's it's about trying to be mindful and conscientious about how you present and so of course you're going to have you know sugar during events and whatnot but being mindful okay we're going to scale back about you know being understanding that bedtime is going to probably be a little bit rough and when you do give them sugar i always say try to stick with organic um try to My number one thing is I personally won't do is artificial dyes. Yeah, Um, Artificial dyes have very much been shown in studies to be correlated with inattention, you know, having sleeping problems and increased behavioral issues. And so I really refrain from using artificial dyes. And what's interesting is that they're banned in other places. Yeah. And And even California is trying to ban red dye finally. Mm -hmm. Red dye, Which has a huge effect across the country. what's interesting, it's actually been banned in cosmetics since 1990, but not in our food. And like to know that the cosmetic industry is barely regulated to begin with, that Mm -hmm. is crazy. Yeah. And so I teach my kids to read labels. And so we look, well, let's look at this together, even if they can't read. Let's look and see what these things are. If they don't know what it is, should we be eating it? Mm -hmm. Hmm. And we look things up together and that's part of the slowing down and the educating part. So if you slow down with them and say, let's think about, do we want to put this in our body and let's try it. Let's see how our body feels afterwards. Did you not feel so good? Was it harder to go to sleep? So we're teaching our kids to pay attention to what are their bodies are feeling. And so when you make that connection, it makes it easier down the road when they are influenced by peers and they are making decisions on their own because you set up that foundation. Yeah. And it's not too late ever. If you feel like, oh, my kid's are already eating sugar and artificial yeah. dyes, it's never too late. It takes anywhere between two to six weeks to break a habit with kids. Uh, so just give yourself time, be consistent, um, and know that you can make it over that hurdle, but it requires a lot of follow through on your part.
0: Mm -hmm. And I love just inviting them in on the conversation and the thought process, because like you said, you're teaching them to then go on and have just the ability to make those decisions on their own when the time comes. So are you finding, what's, how old's your youngest? My youngest is 14 months. Oh my gosh, so mm-hmm. sweet. What a wonderful like, um, opportunity for your nine-year-old to really learn how to take care. and.
1: Yeah, and my seven-year-old, my four-and-a-half-year-old, yeah. they all kind of interact with one another and, and see the different stages of development and what they're allowed to do. Like the, the seven-year-old will see, oh, the nine-year-old is allowed to watch some screens. Well, how come I don't get to?
0: Oh, so it is different. Like you'll say, oh, well, he's older.
1: Yeah, in good time. In time, you will be able
0: to. So what do you have like the seven-year-old do?
1: It's usually she'll have some quiet time. Mm -hmm. My seven-year-old is a crazy, (laughs) ridiculous sleeper.
0: (laughs) My other ones aren't
1: always. She'll still take a nap. Um, But quiet time. Or even in the evening when they go to sleep, my son will get to stay up a little bit later um, yeah. on the weekend and we'll watch something with him. You have so much time to to have those fun moments, to engage in all of those, that great media, because there's a lot of great media and we're excited to to show that with yeah. him and, and
0: participate, but you want to do it together. So it's something that you can share. I really like that tip because I think Yes, sometimes it's great to use as a tool, like you said, if you're feeling sick or um, if you're traveling and that's just something that, you know, you want to um, introduce to them during that special moment. And there,
1: and again, the content is important. So, yeah. like I'm in the middle of writing up a whole guide on screens to let parents know, okay, this is what's high quality content, just like there's high quality food. Uh, it's the same with our uh, our media. Yeah. You know, there are some shows out there that are just garbage Mm -hmm. um (laughs) yeah so tell us about some of your favorites (laughs) (laughs) oh i love old school mr rogers neighborhood from Mm -hmm. the 70s um he was such a gift fred rogers and uh everything he spoke about i just truly loved yeah but there's like if you give a mouse a cookie um that's slow that has kind messages a lot of the shows out there you want to look at the messaging too Mm -hmm. you know not just like this overstimulating and how many frames per second you know the show has or how colorful or bright are the songs and how many characters, but the messaging, are there kind messages? Because often I find,
0: you know, people will be surprised that I'm not a
1: big fan of Daniel Tiger.
0: Oh, interesting. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you told me because I just introduced it. (laughs) Especially for for children
1: under the age of seven. The problem is they present the behavior. Uh, the problematic behavior, and then they present the solution, right? But under age seven, they can't actually make that connection. So you'll see when kids get mad, they'll stomp their feet. And when I'm working with a parent, and they'll tell me that, oh, my kid's constantly stomping their feet when they get mad. And I'm like, did they watch Daniel Tiger? (laughs) And they're like, how did you know? And I'm like, because there's an episode dedicated to when I'm mad, I stomp my feet.
0: Oh, because so oh, they they're learn. watching it. They're yeah, watching yeah. it,
1: but they're not but, getting that solution mm-hmm. of, okay, well, how do I regulate my feelings? And the song to sing when I'm upset and how do I calm myself down?
0: They don't get to that point because yeah. they can't make
1: that connection.
0: That makes so much sense. I've only introduced it through like a podcast podcast. But even then, there's some that I was like, hmm, this is interesting, but I love Mr. Rogers so much. And then I wasn't like expecting it's it. It's actually a
1: great tool for parents. Yeah. And it was originally developed that way to help parents figure out how to parent mm-hmm. um, and teach their kids it wasn't actually, it's not great for kids to actually consume, <laughs> unless you're sitting with your child and you're working with them and doing it in, in the moment. But even still, you'll you'll see some of those problematic behaviors because it is very overstimulating with the colors, the lights. When he goes into dreamland and there's stars everywhere and there's so many different characters and so many of different movements, you'll start to notice it, you can have a headache from watching it when you watch some of these shows, like I don't want to throw things out there, like Cocoa Melon, sit and watch it. It gives me a headache. Wow, and I'm overwhelmed, and I'm, I've totally. already been desensitized to, to to media. Yeah, you know, I've watched it a ton, and I wish I wasn't robbed of that opportunity. You know, and I see it now. I have to take breaks because it becomes too much. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's studies by Nicholas Cardaris, who's a famous psychiatrist who's written books like Glow Kids and Digital Madness, who has looked and evaluated all the studies on screen times with kids so if you have a partner or someone who doesn't understand or wants to learn more you can introduce those books and let them know there's tons of information
0: available about the impacts of screens on kids
1: Mm -hmm.
0: so do you guys do podcasts or do you find that podcast time is same as screen time to you well it depends if it's a visual or our auditory, the auditory. Auditory. Yeah. yeah. So
1: I've used um, something called sparkle stories, uh, which I love. So we do that, you know, if we're on the road or um, uh, traveling, but honestly, even in the car, I want them to have this reverence for the beauty that's around us. And, and we constantly, even when we have music playing in the car, it's such a difference. And I, I even did, you know, whole reels on this on my page and I had parents reach out to me, and they couldn't believe that when they actually turned the music off, there was so much rich, deep conversation that you have mm-hmm. in the car with your child. Yeah. And so it allows for that time, not just to calm down after you know being picked up from school so that they can have that closure for themselves and, and, and downtime, but they want to actually converse with you. And they have that time to have that deep introspection and appreciation
0: for the beauty around them. I know that's beautiful. I rarely listen to music in the car myself because I feel like I must have like some auditory, like sensory stuff. It's just like I get stimulated (laughs) so easily. So when there's like music and then one of the kids is crying, like someone's crying and then someone else is trying to talk to you, like I get so overwhelmed where I'm like, let's just cut the music and then like really sit with them mm-hmm. but I, I don't know some people love But some love parents that.
1: need music and like yeah. look I'll listen to music yeah. on the way to pick up my kids because I kind of need that time to decompress yeah. and to zone out but when I'm there when I pick up my kids I'm ready to be present and of course like like you said sometimes you know this child's fighting with this one or this one's crying and that's where you you want to have time you look at time slow down time is a commodity now mm-hmm. you know that's so precious and so if you have the chance to just pull over I'll say I think we need to talk about this. Everything is oh so loud for my ears. They're hurting my ears. You know, let's think, how can we be calmer when we start driving? Mm-hmm. Because it's my job to make sure everybody is safe. And I can't keep everybody safe when we're oh so loud because it's distracting me from driving.
0: Mm-hmm. And You're so, so calm. <laughs> I love it. I want to be like one of your kids in your car. <laughs> yeah. Um. What do you think about traveling? You know, you were talking about just like go, you know, as we're just all about go, 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 but having the opportunity to travel with your kids and share with them new experiences is so beautiful. What do you think is like a good, happy medium of, um, of just like being home and being in your rhythm Mm -hmm. and then also going and having these experiences as a family i think traveling
1: is an amazing gift to give kids to expose them to different traditions and cultures and so if you're able to do that great some families don't feel comfortable doing it in the beginning when their kids are younger and that's Mm -hmm. fine it just depends on what works for you for my family we love to be able to expose our kids to that type of thing so i think there's a happy medium when you do travel the important thing is to, do, to incorporate some kind of rhythm. So mm-hmm. we always have get up at the same time. We have lunch at the same time, you know, and we try to hold that rhythm even in the evening where they have bath and they have books and then we put them down to bed. And so things can be thrown off for a few days here and there, and that's fine. But Overall, you want to make sure you're consistent in that rhythm and having those stability points helps a child feel safe. Yeah. Even with us, you know, if you have your morning routine where you have your saffron tea mm-hmm. or your matcha uh, in the morning, if you don't have it one morning, it does throw you off for a little bit. And if you don't have it for several days, it can throw you off. Yeah. And so imagine what it's like for a child when their rhythm is thrown off. Mm-hmm. And rhythm is so important for kids, especially from zero to seven, but even beyond that,
0: to feel safe. Yeah. And with that, like, would you say that weekend trips are like more di- more dysregulating than like maybe a week long thing where you kind of get in a rhythm while you're gone?
1: I think both are,
0: are fine. It just depends what works
1: best for you and your family. You know, when you do have those weekend trips that are short, it's harder to get back on track to get back into the groove for school. And so you have to recognize that your child will be more dysregulated and it's not on them, it's on you. Yeah. You know, so yeah, of course we do that. But then, my kids are having a harder time readjusting to school, getting up in the morning and doing, you know, getting through the routine and you have to ask them a hundred times to get dressed. You don't want to do that. You want to slow down and think, all right, I know what are my expectations. I'm going to have really low expectations the next morning from a trip because it's going to be really hard on them to, to get back into that group. So I'm going to give them time. I'm going to wake them up a little bit earlier, have a calm, breakfast where things are already set and can try and just get back into that rhythm and give them a little bit more empathy and a little bit more grace and
0: kindness so beautiful so what are your um you know what are you excited about now like are you done with four <laughs> <Good> <laughs> or are question. you going for more
1: i say i leave it up to you know god and whoever uh you know we're very happy with four but you know
0: Oh, that, I know. I Who think knows it,
1: what the stars hold?
0: When you plan for, did you plan for a certain number ever?
1: Um, well, I always wanted six. My husband wanted two. So we kind of met in the middle of four. Oh my gosh, four. you uh, wanted six though. Oh, I, I would keep having kids forever.
0: That's amazing. And like the chaos doesn't. I describe my life
1: as organized chaos. I love that. Um, but it's fun, you know, and I love seeing how the kids interact with each other and, you know, all the different stages of development. It's so fascinating to me. If you just sit back and watch and take the time to observe, you know, the days are long and the years are short. Um, And so if you keep that in mind, you you tend to appreciate more uh, of what you have in the moment.
0: And you have two uh, dogs or... We also have two dogs. (laughs) Two dogs, yeah. Yeah. And how have you found that having animals... um, supports the kids?
1: Well, um, a lot of ways, you know, especially if you just have one child, I find that having a dog is like a companion. Well, the dog wants to play with your toys. The dog has no idea what's different with their toys versus a child's toys. So it provides that companionship and that ability to interact with one another. Well, it's my turn right now with my toy. When I'm done with my turn, then you can have a turn Mm -hmm. um, kind of thing. And then also it's, you know, been shown to be beneficial even for allergies um, when kids are around dogs in the beginning. As, um, of early life.
0: And so there's an that added um, health component. component. Yeah. And then in terms of you share a lot about pregnancy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know we talked a lot about parenting, but like what are your top like pregnancy um, things to for moms to be aware of? Because I found a lot of times like it can be so overwhelming yeah. and there's just so much information and some sometimes it's overwhelming like some women don't even want to dive in and then they find themselves you know not prepared for Mm -hmm. what's to come which is a lot yeah so yeah what are some tips less is more
1: and remember that social toxins can be worse than chemical ones. So if you're constantly worried about, oh, I can't I have to use this and I have to use this, you know, because I don't want to expose my child to toxins, the worry that you have can raise your cortisol levels. And so that can actually be worse for your body the stress than the chemical toxins that you're thinking about trying to produce in your environment. So I always t- say take one step at a time, you know, make one swap at a time. Don't just go throwing everything out, mm-hmm. you know, um, when you're done with your, beauty product or a cleaning product make a better swap yeah so that's one thing and then when it comes to preparing for children and for a baby um less is more because i think we 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 over consume yeah babies don't need much they just need love you know they need diapers some swaddles maybe, you know, some sleep gowns and a place to sleep. Do you co- Did you ever co-sleep or did you um, have them in their own room? Um, so I didn't co-sleep and have the baby in the bed with me, but I had them in a bassinet next to Lexi. me. And so that's how what well, worked best for my husband and I. I. I was always worried about my husband rolling over on the baby, so I was not going to take that chance.
0: Yeah. And in terms of like getting enough sleep, you found that it was um, nice, like you'd get up, were you the one that would get up and mm-hmm. change and nurse and do all that? Uh, I did
1: have a night nurse with, um, my ch- with some of my children. And so I did get up to nurse because I breastfed all of my children for over a year and my 14-month-old, I'm still going strong, um, but uh, I was always the one to get up and be with the baby, and for me, I think it was such a great bonding moment. Yes, you feel like, yeah, you have that lack of sleep, so you, I am personally have always been really good about being Not able sleep. to nap when the baby naps, yeah. uh, and so that's a skill that I, I've had since I was a child. Um, and you know, sometimes I will take contact naps, you know, if my husband's not in the bed with me during the day, then that's fine. I'm, I can sleep with the baby. Yeah. Um, and so that helps with my ear milk supply and having those contact naps, um, is such a great thing to be
0: able to do if you, you can do those things. I, with my first, I did it all the time cause I loved it. But then with my second, I, I wonder if you had this cause now you have four children. Um, did you ever feel like sad? or you were like mourning the loss of like your time with your children because now you had someone else to take care of and Mm. did you feel bad taking those contact naps basically? Mm. Um, I think –
1: when you have older children, they develop a resilience and they see the attachment that you have with the baby, but they also get a different attachment that they get to have with the baby and with other adults Mm -hmm. in the world. And so I think that's so important to create healthy attachments with various people and not not just just you. you.
0: Yeah. That's so good. And also their relationship with their dad too. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you're lucky enough to have a partner that you're parenting with, I've definitely seen a transformation because it was like all me. And then I was like, oh, you get to go do that with him. That's so fun. But I get to stay at home with the baby. And
1: And so I think it's just being mindful of like having various interactions and seeing the what they're gaining, you know, and just having that change in your your mindset and your perspective um, of what your child is gaining in in those other relationships that they have, mm-hmm. not just with another parent or or and a family member or a friend uh, or a caretaker, but also with the with their sibling.
0: Yeah, so beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing yes. with us. Can you um share a little bit about how people can find you and connect with you? Sure. I have a platform called
1: Doctor Organic Mommy. Uh, dr. Period, Organic Mommy on Instagram and Facebook. I also have a website, drorganicmommy.com, with lots of information there uh, that where you can reach me and find what I like to teach and educate people about.
0: Thank you. Thank you.